I'm going to talk on the theme, Mom, You Are, and typically on a day like today, I, I talk about principles uh, that highlight mothers. Uh, one, I, one of them that I usually do is uh, I encourage husbands to, on a day like today, to take their wives out to eat, and the women said, oh yeah, oh, yeah. no cooking today, women, no cooking, okay? Um, and I usually give pointers and tips and things that highlight moms. But today, I, I want to share a message God put in my heart. Uh, I would say maybe four days ago, I had emailed the, the team, the original Mother's Day sermon I had prepared a week ago. And, but four days ago, the Lord pressed in my heart to speak on this. And so I told the guys, put that on hold. I'll preach at 2018. But today, I want to preach a message related to mothers but not just for mothers. Um, and so I pray that if you are not a mom, you don't block out this message because I believe God wants to speak into your heart. But my theme is, Mom, you are. Luke chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 11 through 17. So would you please open your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, or watch the screens and, as you read uh, adjacent with me. Luke chapter 7. Verses 1 through and including 17 reads as this, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, now it happened that day after that he had went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him. And this is a good phrase here. And a large crowd as well. And when he came near to the gate of the city... Behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. And then fear came upon all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went through all of Judea and all of the surrounding region. The first thing I want to say is to every mom that I believe that if I were to give you a first mom you are, I would have to say Mom, you are committed. You are committed. The reason why I say that is, is because from the moment you became a mother, a Christian mother, you committed to that thing called your child. If you're honest, moms here today, before you was a mom, there were things that you would do that you don't do no more. 
you would go clubbing at midnight. Come back at five in the morning, talk about when's the next party. But from the moment you became a mom, no, I can't hang out at nighttime because I got to take care of my baby. Can I get an amen? amen? Children have a way of changing mamas. And a Christian mom is a committed mother. A Christian mother is a mother from the moment of conception she begins to live a different life. The moment she goes to the doctor, hey, uh, you're positive. From that moment, her life changes completely to the point that she's like, I don't feel well. You, girl. Because a committed mother changes her cycle, changes her style. A Christian mother never renounces the title of a mother. She might not tell you how old she's been a mom, but she will never renounce the title of a mother. She will be a mother, and she will say it from the, from, 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 from the fruit of her heart. She will always declare, I'm a mama. doesn't matter if her kids aren't the greatest. She's going to say, I'm a mama. Because at the end of the day, to every mama... Their kids is the best kids in the planet. <laughs> Leave it at that because we're recording. A mother understands what it is. One of the other qualities of mom is if, if, if there's anybody that operates in faith is a mom. Because mothers have the capacity to understand what it is to have something she cannot see on the inside of her. And even though she can't see it, she knows it's there because she feels it. And she knows that in spite of the pain and the changes of a biological clock, in spite of all of the changes she's going to embrace, she knows that she knows that inside of her there is this thing that is causing her pain and agony and calamity, but nine months later it's going to be worth the pain. There is nothing on earth more great than the love of a mama. I'm telling you, there's nothing more great than the love of a mama. To everybody, you might, you might be ugly. To your mama? <laughs> it's like that joke I heard. I heard a joke. A kid says, my mom, everybody's calling me a big head, mama. Call me a big head. She's like, you ain't got no big head, boy. Don't, don't listen to them. You got no big head. What big head? There is nothing on earth greater than love of a mother. And in this biblical narrative, we see Jesus that made it his business to resolve an issue in the life of a mother. Now, Jesus had a fame. Jesus had a fame. He was known for this. He had a fame of going to every funeral service and disrupting the service. 
Whatever funeral service Jesus would go to, dead people would start rising up, raising up. And Jesus shows up in three funeral service, and in three funeral service, he causes resurrection. The first one we find was Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. And Martha and Mary come crying to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother ain't going to die. And he says, Mama, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he's dead, he shall rise. And then he stands in the middle of the tomb and says, Lazarus, come off. And this guy gets out of the tomb, rises from the dead, and changes the funeral procession. Second time, we see it in Jairus' daughter. God raises his daughter from the dead. And the third, we see it in this narrative the widow of Nain. And one day I will preach on three different resurrections. One has to deal with the resurrection of siblings crying out for a miracle. The other one has to deal with resurrection of a father crying out for his daughter. And now this is the resurrection of a mother who has a son who is dead. Now, the Bible contains a series of things that are happening in this scripture to let us know the geographical location, the emotional status, and also from, a, from the arena of topography, he's also going to share, tell us exactly where this scenario is happening because all of this has a lot to do with why Jesus is performing this miracle. First of all, let me say this. For this woman to lose her son was more than just losing a son. And I don't know what's worse than losing a son. But this son represented more than a son to this woman. This son represented the livelihood of this mother, which I'll get into in a minute. First of all, the Bible tells us several information. Number one, the Bible tells us that the city this woman lived in was on a hill, and in, on top of the hill, the city was called Nain. That's number one. That's important information. At the entrance of the hill, there's a city. I'm sorry. At the top of the hill, there's a city. And at the entrance of the hill, which, by the way, to enter the hill, you had to go down. The, the, the entrance was in the valley. And the city was up on a hill. And at the bottom of the hill is the entrance to the city of Nain. And from the entrance to the cemetery, there's about 8 to 10 miles of distance. That's important for you to understand. Because you have a woman who is coming down a hill, going through the gate down the hill, getting ready to walk 8 to 10 miles to the cemetery. And it is in this specific scenario where this woman meets Jesus. I'm going to say it again. She lives in a hill. She comes down the hill. She's at the gate of the city to go 10 miles to the cemetery, but at the gate of the city... She finds Jesus. You missed it. I'm going to say it again. She lives on top of the hill. She lives in the pinnacle of success. She lives up in glory. Up in the pinnacle of success. Her son dies. 
She now has to come down with her dead son, who when she was up in the high, she's coming down the gate, because once she crosses the gate, she's got to walk eight to ten miles to crawl to a cemetery, but right before she starts walking out the city, she finds a man named Jesus. I'm going to say it again. She's on top of a hill. She's coming down the hill, and at the gate of Nain, she finds a man named Jesus. Not at the highest of her moments, she found Jesus at the lowest of her moments. And I want to encourage you, because many of us only know, see God, when we are at our apex of success. But I thank God that my God is not only the God of the heights, he's also the God of the lows. He's also the God of the valleys. That's why David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no God of the valley. Now, he shows up at the lowest state in this woman's life. And we know, and we know, we know, when you are at your lowest, that's the time you see Jesus, right? Because some of us, when everything is going well, we ain't got time for Jesus. We got time for the beach. We got time for the pool. You know, you know, so, you know, you know. We got time for, you know, I got to do my pedicure. I ain't going to church today. The devil is a liar and his mother. <laughs> but there's something about us that when things don't go right, got to go to church. We need some Jesus up in here. You know. This woman has it so bad that seeing Jesus right in front of her eyes, she doesn't understand and she doesn't acknowledge that in front of her face is the only one that can change a situation. Now, why was this woman worried? One, the Bible tells us, chapter 7, her son is dead. Her son just died. Second thing is, not only is her son dead, but the Bible also tells us she's a widow, implying her father, her husband, I'm sorry, is dead as well. And by the way, social historically, this caused grave problems to this mother. Let me, let me explain it. See, in those days, they didn't have welfare. They didn't have coupons, you know, coupons. They didn't have social security. They didn't have insurance. In the times of Scripture, in those times, children and husbands were responsible for the caring of their wife or mama. So you have a woman whose husband is dead. And by the way, by virtue of default, who's supposed to care for mama is the son. And now son is dead. See, 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 in those times, children... Wouldn't do what we do nowadays. And, and again, now, you know, I don't want to offend nobody. Back in them days, children would care for their mama. Back in them days, children would take care of their mama till the very end. Nowadays, when your mama starts giving signs of 
I'm going to say it. Alzheimer's, you start Googling what's the quickest elderly group home you can put your mama in. That, 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 that didn't happen back then. Matter of fact, that was, all, that was almost considered a sin. You know that text that says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God has given you? That verse that says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long. The live long in that scripture is not that you're going to live, yeah, I'm going to honor my mom and I'm going to honor my dad because I'm going to live 2,700 years. No, that's not what it's talking about. To live long in this context implies to live a blessed life. So for a son to care for his mama implied, I'm blessed. But unfortunately, in the life of this mama, her husband is dead, her provider, who now her son is supposed to care for her, which the Bible says he was a man. He dies, which by the way, no mother should watch her son die, but that's another message. Her only son is dead, and now after the funeral, you got to think after the funeral, because right now, which by the way, in the times of the Bible, Bible, the Bible says that she was with a multitude of people, and the reason why she was with a multitude of people is because when someone would die, they would hire people, they would pay people to cry with them. So she's with this whole crowd, crying with her, trying to make her feel good, trying to make her feel well, because she knows... That after this funeral service, she has only two options of survival. Option number one, become a beggar. Live on the streets and beg. Option number two, prostitution. So while she's crying the death of her son, in the back of her mind, she's thinking, I got to make a choice. After I bury my son, I got one or the other. And isn't that the buckle? She's going to the cemetery and she sees Jesus and doesn't realize her answer is in front of him. Because let me tell you, sometimes you're so caught up in your chaos and in your crisis and in your turmoil and in your problem that you see the answer right there before you, but you're so caught up in the problem that you can, I'm here to tell you, before you make a decision, lift your eyes to the hills from where your help comes from. It comes from the Lord. So socially, historically, this woman was under pressure. And Jesus encounters this woman at the entrance of the gate, the entrance of the gate. And I'm glad he finds her at the entrance of the gate because depending your perspective, if I stand in the gate, for some it means I'm walking out, for some it means I'm going in. And I'm glad that my God is a God of transition. He's a God who says, I can utilize your predicament to either take you back up to the hill or if you choose to go your way, then you go to your cemetery and live in your, in your mortifying experience. But Jesus stands right in the middle of the entrance of the hill. And this is the lowest position of the woman. This woman is at a lowest position in her life. It was here where she encounters Jesus. Circumstances post this encounter is now what I want to talk about. Because here's the deal. What do you do when you're at your lowest? What do you do? You got to assess your environment 
environment. And Luke gives us the capacity to understand the environment because this woman was so caught up in her mess, she didn't realize in her world something wasn't right. Listen to this. The first thing we find is intersection of two multitudes. Two multitudes are in the scripture. Something must and will happen when multitudes collide. There were two crowds. The Bible says one multitude was following the woman. The other multitude was following Jesus. One multitude was crying behind the woman. The other multitude was rejoicing and anticipating a miracle from Jesus. My question to you is, which side of the crowd are you in? My question to you is, are you part of the crowd that always see a problem? Or are you part of the crowd that even in the midst of your problem, you can have the faith enough to believe, I know that my Redeemer lives. Two crowds. Not only Luke tells us there's two crowds. Luke tells us there are two sons. Here we see two sons face to face. One son is alive on his way to die. The other son is dead, about to come alive. But not only do we see two sons, we see two enemies. Death is standing behind the woman. Life is standing behind Jesus. And let me tell you, when death and life intersect, one of the two has got to give up the right. But I'm glad that behind Jesus is life, because whenever life shows up, death has got to go. Two multitudes, two sons, two enemies, two cities. One city is heading towards the place of silence, the cemetery. The other multitude is heading towards the heavenlies to watch Jesus ascend. And let me tell you, friends and church, today we are from one part or the other. Are you from the woman's multitude or Jesus' multitude? Are you from the woman's son's perspective or are you from the son of God's perspective? Are you standing in the side of the enemy called death or are you standing in the side of the enemy of death called life? Which city are you a part of? And what does Jesus do? The Bible says that when he looks at this woman, when he looks at this mother, the Bible says he felt compassion for her. Now, now bear in mind, shortly after this narrative... This is towards the third year of Jesus' ministry. Shortly after this is where Jesus is going to be on the cross. And shortly after that, he's going to look down from the cross, and guess who's going to be there? His mama. And it's at the cross where he's going to say, Mother, behold your son. So, so when he looks at this woman, he's not looking a, a female. He's not looking at the female species of the human sin. No, no. When he looks at this woman, he's looking at a mother who had a husband, who had a child, who had a future, who had security, and now she's lost it all as she's walking toward the death of a cemetery surrounded by death, surrounded by tombstone, surrounded by mortification. And he says, I got to let her know that I see her. And so he has Verse 13 says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. I want you to know that in the midst of your mortification, 
in the midst of the things that are dying all around you. I want you to know that Jesus is seeing you. I want to encourage you that in the middle of you losing your job and losing hope and losing strength and losing faith and losing love and losing encouragement, you're about to give it up and you're about to take that thing and bury it on the grave. I want you to know, don't dig up the hole yet. Jesus is seeing you. Jesus has compassion over you. Don't give it up yet. He might be a bad husband. They might be bad kids. You might have a bad job. Your body might be bad, but don't give it up. I'm me to tell you, the Lord sent me to tell you, I have compassion over your situation. He had compassion over her, but the, pro the problem is this woman wasn't looking for a miracle. She wasn't looking for a miracle. She wasn't even asking for one. Matter of fact, when the woman and Jesus bumped into each other, she didn't even ask him for anything. Because she came to the point in her life where she said, I don't want it. It's a wrap. It's over. And I'm glad. You know, we, the Bible says, Jeremiah 33 and 3, call unto me and I will answer you. But I'm glad that sometimes when we don't call him, he still answers. That sometimes when we say it's dead, God, no, it ain't dead yet. That sometimes when we say I give up, God, no, don't give up yet. Because I'm glad that God don't give up the way we give up. Because if God were to give up the way we give up, we will be depressed, we'll be broken, we'll be hurting. But I'm here to tell you what the Bible says. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No one in the crowd, in the woman's crowd, solicited help from Jesus. Now, if you go to Jesus' crowd, everybody's saying, Lord, touch me. Lord, heal me. Lord, minister to me. Lord, and, 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 and if I was in the woman's crowd, I'd just copycat everybody else. But that didn't happen. She wasn't expecting anything from Jesus. She was simply on her way to bury her dead son. She was overwhelmed by the pain of her loss. And let me tell you something. In order to understand this woman, you've had to experience the loss of someone you love. She was lost. She was so broken that she was lost in her own world. Have you ever seen people so lost in themselves that they come to the church and everybody's having church like this? You're so caught up in your cocoon of a mess. And God could be moving, and Jesus could be in the house, and his presence could be here. But you're just all so overwhelmed in the things that are dying around you that you can't even smile in the presence of the Lord. And you can't even rejoice in the house of God because there's so much overwhelming pressure that surrounds you all around you. And even after, even while you're in the service, you're thinking, yeah, but when I get out this building, I'm going back to my hell. I'm going back to my problem. I don't know how I'm going to fix this stuff. I don't know how this is going to change my life. I'm here to tell you today. Don't give up yet, baby, because God, when he shows up, he turns things around. She wasn't looking for Jesus. But guess what? Jesus was looking for her. And not only does he seize her, he acknowledged her condition. I'm here to tell you, church, Jesus is watching you. He's watching every tear you cry. He sees every pain you suffer. Every time you said, I quit, 
he sees it. And he says, I, be, be, before I go to the other region of the city, I got to pass by the gate of the hill of Nain. Because there's somebody there that needs to know, I know. And now, and now, you know, the Bible says Jesus had compassion on her. That's great. Second thing the Bible says is Jesus sees her. But the third thing I notice in Scripture is that Jesus has a command. And when I look at Jesus' command, it doesn't coincide with his passion. Because Jesus tells the woman something strange. He tells her, do not weep. Now, 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 if I'm compassionate and you, you know, you know, somebody died in your family, my, me, I would be like, Acompaño los sentimientos. My condolences. I love you. It's okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He and I hug you and I cry with you. But Jesus doesn't do that. How can you be so compassionate to the point that you tell somebody who's crying, stop crying? If you're compassionate, here's the tissue, baby. Here's the tissue. Here, here, here. Dry your tears. But Jesus. Out of compassion, he tells her, do not weep. Are you serious? She's on her way to bury her son. She probably spent all of her money paying all these people to cry behind her. She's broke like a joke, and now you're telling her, don't cry. Now, let me tell you what do not weep means in the literal translation. The literal translation is not don't cry. The literal translation is stop crying. There's a difference if I tell you don't cry or if I tell you stop crying. Jesus didn't tell her don't cry. Because to tell her to don't cry implies he doesn't care for her feelings. But to tell her stop crying implies I'm here, and I'm turning this thing around. He has so much compassion over her that he tells her, stop crying. There was a season to cry. There was a season to mourn. But the resurrection and the life is in the house. Ain't no more crying, baby. I'm going to make a miracle out of the things that has killed. Oh, I feel like preaching. He's told us, stop, stop crying, because he is the one who could change your circumstance. Therefore, the presence of Jesus in the life of a mother makes a whole difference in the world. Let me tell you, you let, let me tell you, mama, mama, let me tell you, mama, you might not have nothing, but if you have a Jesus tell you, stop crying, uh-huh, you know what that means, God's going to make a way. That's when they tell you, man, give up on your son. I ain't going to give up on my son because God told me, stop crying. I ain't going to give up on my daughter. God says, stop crying. He's going to make a way. I ain't going to give up on my marriage. God says, stop crying, which means I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I know that I know that I know that he's going to make a miracle in my life. And then, and then, and then Jesus' compassion. Uh, well, we got to go home. Jesus' compassion. Jesus' compassion. No, my mother's day, the reservation. I don't want to say reservations. Jesus' compassion breaks all the rules. Jesus' compassion breaks protocol. 
The Bible says that then Jesus does something unorthodox, something that will classify him to become ceremonially unclean. The Bible says he tells her, stop crying. And then he takes his hand and he touches the coffin. You have to understand, for a rabbi to touch the dead was ceremonially unclean. And Jesus stands in front of the sarcophagus, the dead corpse. He stands in front of this coffin and he touches the unclean. Because he's so overwhelmed by the pain of his mother. He's so overwhelmed by the pain of this mother that he says, I know, I know that doing this makes me wrong before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the tabernacle, the synagogue. But I'm willing to look bad before the world in order to touch a broken, hurting, callous mother. Their mothers today, they know what, you, they, they know what it means to do what Jesus did. Jesus was willing to be talked about for the sake of this woman. And there are mothers here that have, you've done stuff you thought you would never do, but for the sake of your kids, can, can, I, can I get it? Listen, I, I see my mama when I was a kid. She would never do this. Before she got married, my mother had like heels like this. My mother had a big, a big, I don't know, moño. <laughs> Look like the tower pizza, like, like, on crack. Elegant woman. Elegant woman. When my mama had us, I saw my mother stand on cheese lines, getting free cheese. Because when you're a mother, you do whatever it takes. And she was standing there waiting for her blood. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all whippersnappers know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't remember them block of cheese you used to get in New York? I see my mother get on the cheese lines because mothers do anything for their children. I've seen mothers put their houses up to pay the bond of their child in prison. I've seen mothers do that. I've seen mothers separate from their lovers because their lovers are abusing their kids. I've seen that. Mothers would do anything. Mothers would do the unimaginable for their children. And Jesus says, I got to restore this woman. Mother, look at what Jesus tells this woman when he resurrects the boy. Look, 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 what he, look what he tells her. He tells her, woman, behold your son. It's interesting. Luke chapter 7 verse 15 says, so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother as if to say, hey, mother, this is your son. Why do you present him to her if you know who he is? Because it was symbolic of what Jesus was going to do at the cross as he presents his mother to John. So in conclusion, mom, I want to tell you here before we go home that you are important. Mom, you are important. So important that God was willing to go to the gate of the city called Nain to find you in your brokenness. Mom, you are necessary. 
And so God is willing to bring back to life the things that are dead so that you can continue to leave a legacy in your offspring. Mother, mom, you are necessary. Number three, mom, you are acknowledged by Jesus himself. And nobody might not see you, but God sees you. Nobody might, perhaps nobody sees the nights you're asleep, you're awake, and you're praying for your kids. And no, but I'm here to tell you, mom, you are acknowledged by the Lord. And lastly, mom, you're special. You're so special, God is willing to get dirty and become unceremonial and break the rules just for you. And so, I'm done, I'm done. I, I, we got to go. So to every mama here, I'm here to tell you, don't bury your thing. Don't bury your son. To every believer here, I tell you, don't bury your dreams. Don't bury your purpose. Don't bury your calling. Don't bury the dreams. But pastor, it smells. It's been dead. Don't bury it. Don't bury it in exchange. This is what I'm going to tell you. Don't bury it in exchange to prostituting your calling over your life. Don't bury the thing in exchange for living for money handouts. Don't trade it in exchange. Don't you dare bury your son for a nine-to-five job. Don't you dare bury your son and prostitute your calling. You know God didn't call you to do that. You know there's a calling upon your life. It's easy to give up. It's easy to bear. It's easy to say I'm done. But I'm here to tell you the resurrection and the life is telling you stop crying. I'm going to turn your circumstance around. So what are you going to do? Are you going to keep crying? And explain your pain to everybody else so everybody can feel sorry for you? Or are you going to say, Jesus, 